I think one of the most powerful things we can help someone do is connect their present self to their future self. I love the work that Hal Hirschfeld has done and is continuing to do on this. He's got a great book coming out in May. Humans treat who we will be in the future like a stranger. Yeah. So if you can help someone see, okay, you're creating the life you'll have tomorrow through the choices you're making today. And this, if this is what you are doing, this is what we can confidently guess is going to be the reality you will have. Is that what you want? If not, what will you do differently? Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success a podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right, hello everyone. Today I'm thrilled to bring to you a interview that I did for my forthcoming book. It's with an esteemed guest, Dr. Joy Lear. She is a clinical licensed psychologist. She is the co-founder of Shaping Wealth, which is an innovative platform that's really pioneering this concept of an outsourced chief behavioral officer, really diving into how we can communicate more effectively with clients, taking into consideration psychology, behavior, and money. Now, our conversation today that I'm sharing with you it really talks about a number of different issues when it comes to these factors, whether it's moving away from typical technical advice and more towards cultivating really richer human connections with people. We also discuss this concept of the hedonic treadmill, where we can really get caught up in the repetitive cycle of wanting more, and she gives some psychological tools that we can use to liberate ourselves from that. Uh, she'll also cover a number of different ways that we can really harmonize our real-world actions with our stated objectives. We also dive into some interesting uh, topics like how financial advisors and CPAs really are managing uh, this complex web of relational dynamics when it comes to people and families, whether that's parenting or going through uh, marital issues. So stay tuned for this fascinating episode with Dr. Joy Lear from Shaping Wealth. I'm joined by Dr. Joy of Shaping Wealth. Joy, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about first behavioral finance. But before we do that, can you give a background on yourself and how you got to the behavioral finance business? Absolutely. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist by training. I'm also the co-founder of Shaping Wealth. And in my clinical career, I'm trained to look for patterns and listen differently. And it was really interesting to me as a clinician, 
over and over, regardless of what someone's presenting concern was, it was striking to me that as they came in to psychotherapy and their story began to unfold, money was often in some ways part of the picture. And I think in some ways we shouldn't find that a surprise. Money is a taboo topic. People have very few places to talk about it openly and honestly, and it is inextricably linked to so many aspects of our lives. Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. And when people are talking about their money, they aren't just talking about dollars and cents. They're talking about trust and safety and status and significance, empowering control and identity. It was really interesting for me then. I had an invitation to step into the finance world. There was, yeah, I think it's really exciting that more and more within wealth management, people are recognizing that, especially advisors, you're trained at managing money, but not at managing humans. So there's an increased demand for people with training and expertise in psychology to help people understand, okay, what's going on beyond the math and the spreadsheets? Yeah. And so let's dive into, because I want to segment this because obviously this is for the accounting audience mainly, but let's talk about what is preventing financial advisors from really making these changes and adopting a more empathetic approach. And then, you know, what it's probably more difficult for CPAs who, you know, I've said, Joy, before that there's two levers when it comes to culture. There's performance and there's relationship-driven culture. And I think for mm -hmm. many accounting professionals and just the level of work they do, it's driven by performance, deliverables, KPIs. And yeah. I think the financial advisor side is more driven towards relationships. You know, we're taught we can't beat the stock market. It's like, how do we have better relationships with our clients? So can you talk about the psychology here on what's Preventing more advisors and CPAs from adopting more psychological and emotional advisement? I think a lot of it is training. When people are trained in on the economic side of things and the numbers, that's where you feel most comfortable and most competent and confident. So that is where you stay. In some ways, you collude with clients of, Okay, let's not actually talk about the murky underbelly of what's going on when it comes to the psychology of money, because I don't know if I know how to even talk about this. So some of the work I do with advisors is helping them tell their own money stories. And sometimes these people sit and talk about with clients about money all the live long day, but they've never gone on that journey themselves. So we can't take clients 
farther than we've gone on our own personal journey. And we shouldn't be asking them to do things we haven't done ourselves. So I think some of that is just kind of personal comfort because when we start having emotional conversations, we are then entering a space where I think sometimes it is, there's this question, what if I don't know what to say? We, I think so many problems in our lives and we create so many ceilings for ourselves because we cannot tolerate discomfort. So we play it safe. And I think that we're, this is one of the ways we're seeing that play out in the industry. Yeah. Let's go into then the roadblocks here for people. Obviously, that's the self-awareness part. Is that the main roadblock for people achieving that financial well-being? I think it is a multitude of factors and it's complex and it's not going to be the same for everyone. But I think in terms of promoting financial well-being, we need to start with self-awareness. Yeah that that self-observation of even noticing in the moment and recognizing, oh, this is what I'm doing. And then getting curious, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then getting more curious still, is it serving me well to do what I'm doing? Because human behavior is pattern. Yeah. And we are, but I think sometimes people look at financial behavior and they it's easy to look around at what everyone else is doing and pass judgment or throw labels on it oh they are just being irrational and biased but if we step back and look at it as humans we are wired to survive and most human behavior when you get to understand someone's story when you take the time to gather enough context, you can see at one point along the way, the behavior that you're maybe seeing right now was maybe on some level adaptive. Now it may not fit the certain circumstances, but it, it people by and large aren't trying to blow up their lives, hurt yeah. themselves and hurt the people around them. And I think that's one place we go wrong in understanding and thinking about, okay, why is someone doing what they're doing? Especially if from the outside, we can see this is probably not the healthiest thing for you. So how do we start doing this? How do we start doing that for ourselves? Recognizing those behaviors, those emotions, those thoughts. Like how do we start that self-awareness conversation with ourselves? I, It's a practice. And I think... Sometimes when you have to be motivated to do it, I think a lot of times we need some outside help with self-awareness because we do have so many blind spots. And I think it involves certain, in some ways, self-awareness is one component of emotional intelligence. And that is a set of skills and capacities that we can, the great news is we can learn, grow, and develop that. So I think one of the best places to do that, if someone is really serious about that, is working with a psychologist, with a psychotherapist, with a coach who's very well trained and having someone come alongside you on the journey and help you get curious about 
ways in which you are maybe getting in your own way without even realizing it. Yeah. And let's talk about money being such a stressor for people. And I know you've cited the American Psychological Association as that being one of the top issues. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, you talked about money almost being gravity really affects everybody's, everybody in everybody's lives. So let's talk about how money is such a stressor for people. Yeah. It is something that is on people's minds a lot. I, there's, there can be lots of fears. We live in an uncertain world. We have to tolerate a lot of volatility when it comes to the market economies. And I think that can be really destabilizing for some people and anxiety provoking. When it comes to financial stress, I think the question that is often underneath it is, am I going to be okay? And a lot of people don't necessarily trust that they are. They may look at, and I think related to this is the sense of, am I ever going to feel like I have enough? Yeah. And this idea is enough is big, is big and huge and charged. But part of what I think drives, drives financial stress is a hedonic treadmill of whatever I have, I need more. Whatever I have, I need more. That is why more money is not the solution to anyone's financial stress or anxiety. But if you ask most people, they say, if I just had a little bit more, I would feel okay. But that is an illusion that creates a world of pain for people. Because the goalposts just keep Keeps moving. moving. I read uh, Brendan Bouchard or Dr. Hardy, the gap in the gain. They talk about we're constantly moving. The gain is that constantly moving that goalpost, wanting more, that hedonic treadmill. And the key thing is to look back and say that the gain, where you came from, yeah. where you came from two years, Rory, two years ago, if I could tell you, you'd be interviewing Dr. Joy Lear for your book you're going to write. I'd be like, you're crazy. I'm not writing. There's no way I'm writing a book. Yeah, you're not talking world. So it's talking like going back to that gain and really helping to reframe how far you really come in, instead of constantly be wanting that future goal. Yeah. And I like that I talking about games. It's, you have to ask yourself, whose game am I playing? A I'm, gain. I'm sorry, no, gain. Play. Uh, the gap of the gain. Gain. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk, let's dive into values though, because I know that's so important in behavioral finance. So let's, I would just get your thoughts on that, the importance of values and how that can really help us drive towards our goals and make those necessary behavior changes. Absolutely. Our values help us get clarity about our why. And it is really important when to have someone really step back and be honest with themselves about their values. Because I think often there's a disconnect between professed priorities and what someone is living out. But I say, you know, it tells the truth about what's really important to you. It's your calendar and your bank account. Ah. So I, and I think there's a real opportunity to promote positive behavior change when you can, in some ways, help someone see, okay, there's a discrepancy between 
what I say is important to me and what I'm actually doing. So then get curious with yourself about what's going on and ask, okay, is this the way I want to keep going? If not, what am I willing to do differently? Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you will keep getting what you're getting. Yeah, and I just go I go back to this joint because I know the wealth management profession, they're taking on a, a lot of these principles here. But many times they're dealing with people who've accumulated wealth or accumulated a certain amount of income. The audience here that we're speaking to are 1.2 million accounts or 600,000 CPAs. Those people who are the front lines who are helping people start their business or advising people when they have that first kid who don't necessarily have that wealth, but this may be the most important time in their lives early on to set up the necessary behavior so, so they can have a successful outcome. I want you to speak to that audience, those those CPAs, those accounting professionals who are looking at the debits and credits and are seeing that. How can they help communicate more effectively to clients? Can you run that question one yeah. more time for me? So I, my, my thing is accounting professionals, they are many times the financial first responders. Yes. They are dealing with people who may not have wealth yet, who may not have yep. or might not be high income earners. They're probably new to this, to, to communicating the behavioral finance principles. Like they mm -hmm. are the ones that that probably can help out the most because not everybody has a, has a financial advisor. So what are some of those ways that those accounting professionals who are looking at that QuickBooks or that, that those debits and credits and are seeing maybe a business, the small and medium-sized business, maybe you see the businesses aren't making necessarily the right decisions. How can they effectively communicate to maybe those business owners, maybe the question I want to ask, so that they can start making those behavior changes? They tied maybe the business back to values? I'm just trying to, I'm just kind of okay. speaking out loud yeah, here. Jen. I am tracking. I think one of the most powerful things we can help someone do is connect their present self to their future self. I love the work that Hal Hirschfield has done and is continuing to do on this. He's got a great book coming out in May. Humans treat who we will be in the future like a stranger. Yeah. So if you can help someone see, okay, you're creating the life you'll have tomorrow through the choices you're making today. And this, if this is what you are doing, this is what we can confidently guess is going to be the reality you will have. Is that what you want? If not, what will you do differently? How would you apply this to a business? So let's put your put you in accounting firm or CPA shoes. How would you communicate this to that business owner for their business? I think when looking at organizations are complex systems, and I think there are two things that businesses need to attend to. And you actually have to start with what's happening internally. How are you built? What systems do you have in place? And probably most importantly, what how are you managing and treating your talent to set you up for success? sustainably because you are only going to be as good to the people you serve as the people who are working for you. So you need to start at home and then think about how, who are we best suited to serve and how are we doing that? Where are opportunities? 
where are our strengths? How do we play to our strengths and reduce our vulnerabilities? Okay. All right. Let's move on to the money messages part. Yeah. Let's talk about that because we have that survey that we're doing, Joy, mm -hmm. and money messages are what we learned growing up. There are relationships to money is formed in our childhood. Can you talk about money messages here? Absolutely. So we all develop core beliefs about money and they are set into motion very early on in our lives. And we develop them based on what we observe, what we learn experientially and what is taught to us. And there are lots of messages that become our internal scripts and things we believe about money. And they can be related to financial behaviors. What we believe is okay and acceptable and quote normal about spending, about saving. They can be related to roles and responsibilities. Who does what when it comes to money, maybe within a family system or within a couple. And we can develop money messages, beliefs about money that are related to early experiences of stress and anxiety that we carry forward with us that can, in some ways, get in people's way. So if you are going into the idea of finding a job is really stressful, or there's never going to be enough money, or money is something that we don't talk about, we only fight about it. Yeah. That is really going to color your perception, your feelings, and your comfort and confidence with money as you move through your life. Now, how can one do a self-assessment on their money message, their money script? Do you have worksheets there that you utilize? I think one of the most powerful things someone can do is spend some time reflecting and even sitting out and writing your own money story and really asking yourself, what is my relationship with money? What have I, when have I come to believe what I do? And who are the people and forces that have shaped and influenced me? And I think what's, you know, what's really important is knowing it doesn't matter what our where we have come from financially, that doesn't determine where we need to go. So recognizing that we are all writing our money stories as we move through our lives. And they're going to be different and distinct chapters, but it's really important that people really over time connect to a sense that they have a sense of authorship of their own story. And you have to ask yourself, what do I want that to be? Yeah. How does that, I know we've talked about it before on our other call, but how does that, those money messages, how does that end up playing out on where we end up working or where we, who we end up marrying? Potentially, can you talk about those aspects of the money messages? Absolutely. It, when we talk about our relationship with money, it's always interesting to me when I talk to people about their relationships with work, work is such a huge part of our lives. And I'm always curious about why people are, have chosen to do what they do. 
all the things you could choose while you're spending tens of thousands of hours of your life doing this thing. And sometimes people are getting into the family business. Sometimes there are strong cultural expectations. Sometimes people are drawn to certain professions be because they think, okay, this is going to be lucrative. And that is what's most important to me. Sometimes it's about status or prestige. Sometimes people enter a profession because of early experiences they had related to a certain issue or something along those lines. And I think it's interesting to me when or why people enter the world of finance, whatever that may be. And what I find is sometimes the origin of that as people are drawn to the profession because they've maybe had experiences early in their life where money was chaotic or money was hard or they grew up in a money or grew up in a household where they didn't talk about money or they didn't necessarily learn a lot about money and they decided I want to make sure that does not happen to me later on. So in some ways, becoming a financial expert is a way to develop a sense of mastery over something that was even personally hard. And avoid the pain. Absolutely. Which goes back to what we were talking about. Like we are wired to survive. So if something was painful before, let me figure out to make sure that does not happen to me. If I was a child who had who has these core memories of financial stress, I don't make sure my child does not, doesn't experience that. And I think even if someone is then, if they have those early experiences of maybe some even financial trauma, that can paint and color how driven they are when choosing a vocation by money. There may be more, it may be more important to them to make more money and develop this moat of what they perceive or hope is safety, going back to enough, because they want to, they're trying to out earn that feeling. But sometimes that doesn't go away regardless. Those feelings don't necessarily go away just by earning a whole pile of cash until you've dealt with the emotions and the experiences that you've lived through. Yeah, I think everybody should go through some type of financial therapy so they don't have to have those issues or that pain or feeling like they need to reach a certain goal, Joy. And why why isn't this taught? Or why don't why isn't this prevalent in our culture? And why is financial literacy an issue? And why don't we teach it in schools? And why is it such a taboo subject? We'd rather talk about sex than money, research yeah. shows. Yeah. Yes, it's true. And I think it, a lot of this da- is, it's just been a longstanding, a longstanding entrenched pattern that we need to step outside and break. I think as we think about making strides with what is taught, it needs to be taught in a way that's developmentally appropriate. 
because sometimes some of the exposure that is happening, even in schools, okay, that's if a, a child or an adolescent isn't even necessarily able to hold on, hold on to that when they need it then down the road. And when it comes to, I think we need to just continue to push the envelope on normalizing, talking about money, asking questions about money, and just naming, this is hard, this is uncomfortable, but this is what our silence costs us. What would you say that our silence costs us, where we're at? Absolutely. I, our silence costs us not having the skills we need. Yeah. Our silence costs us conflict in yeah. relationships. Our silence costs us in negotiations. Our silence costs us in terms of people feeling alone yeah. in their financial shame, in their financial stress. When it comes to when it comes to li financial literacy, we also I think we need to help people develop the skills to talk about it, not just understand the math that they need to know in yeah. their lives. Yeah, because I know I was reading one of your articles. It was the show about shame. Actually, I have it right here, Joy. Let me see which one. It was the chatter one. Mm -hmm. Shame isn't shame isn't motivating. Yeah, um, just we beat ourselves down, and it's yeah. not, it doesn't lead to behavior changes. So it's starting those conversations. But how do you advise parents to? I know there's every situations are different. Different is there is there something that you talk about on how parents can better advise their children? I think having open, honest communication that is developmentally appropriate is really important because if money is a topic that is openly talked about, then a child is not going to internalize that unspoken message that this is not something to be discussed. If parents can narrate for their child, okay, these are, let's talk about the different aspects of our money lives, okay? This is why we spend on what we spend. This is my decision-making process. Talk to your kid about, okay. about saving. Importantly, talk to your kids about giving. Help kids understand your money is not just about you. And I think if, and then have your kids practice when the stakes are much lower with these different aspects of their financial life so that they develop the skills and it's not such a sharp learning curve when they are out on their own. They understand, okay, this is where money comes from. It doesn't come from the bank of mom and dad. It doesn't come from my credit card. Okay, I know what it is to earn money. And I know what it feels like to delay some gratification and hold some back and make some goals for myself that I can work towards those and have the experience of the satisfaction early in my life of, okay, it does feel really good yeah. to save and save for something I really want rather than just fritter it away the way a lot of adults do. And then they get to the end of the month and they ask, where did it go? 
those were probably not kids who were learning. Okay, I really want this thing right now, but I'm going to learn to tell myself no. And a child needs an adult to help them do that. They can't. Adults have a hard enough time putting on their own brakes. They need it. So kids need the scaffolding and support to do this. Now, all of this requires adults to do their own work to get their own financial house in order so that they can be financial role models that they would want their kids to replicate. Because whatever is happening at home is likely going to be carried forward. There, and yes, there are, there is real hope for generational, negative generational financial patterns being interrupted. But that requires a lot of work and a lot of effort. It's a lot easier to set in motion the pattern that you hope will live beyond you. Yeah. And you hear the stat all the time, right? The by the third generation that wealth ceased to exist. Yeah. Um, it's handing down the right messages to the next generation. Mm-hmm. I want to dive into I had it in the notes here, Joy. The financial first responders can I want to explore maybe the similarities between the therapist, a financial advisor, and a CPA. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I think that there are real parallels between what clients are talking about with a therapist and their advisor or their CPA. They're having conversations with you that they aren't having with anyone else in their lives (laughs) because money is such a vulnerable, intimate topic. There's probably few other people who know what the real financial picture is. And so then what the parallels are, okay, what do you feel about what that is? Is there shame? Is there anxiety? Is there a sense that this is something I need to keep secret or hidden? Do I feel like I've made a mistake? Do I feel insecure about our people... People come, I tell people, especially when I'm working with couples, they often come in because they're fighting about something. It's Mm -hmm. sex or it's money. (laughs) And I think advisors and CPAs are privy to a lot of relational dynamics that are simply being played out through money money. as well. Let's go into that, those working with couples here, Joy. Where was that art? You had the bedroom article, right? (laughs) Let me just see here. I have the notes. Bedrooms and bank accounts, right? Yes. 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 Let's talk about some of the issues there. There's power and control. Yeah. There's security. Mm -hmm. There's autonomy and dependence. There's significance and self-worth, trust as well. So let's dive in here and talk about that. Yeah. Each of those themes, couples use money to communicate things that maybe they're having a hard time talking about out loud. So I think it's important to be aware that these are often some of the themes that are coursing through what, what is happening. When two individuals are merging their lives, there is a lot happening 
and this sense there's a push and pull I think for all of us in relationships between dependence and autonomy and certainly that plays out a lot with money because again money is about survival so am I financially dependent on you do I maintain my own individual sense of self and I think it's important to have conversations with couples about the decisions they're making about what's mine, what's yours, what's ours, and appreciate that. However, that is divvied out is going to impact these dynamics. And there's going to be a set of feelings that accompany that. Yeah. I just think of going over to the future in-laws or the in-laws and you can at Thanksgiving dinner, you can see that money story. That money story starts to come to life like a movie right in front of your eyes. You can see mom and dad and uncle, right? Cousins. You can really get a better picture because you're not just marrying them. You're marrying their money story as well. Yes. I, it was so interesting. I was just working with an advisor and she was sharing that she had just gotten married And they were going through the process of looking for a house and she had a very different reaction and approach to the process that her partner did. And they both consulted with their dads (laughs) and their dads mirrored their response to (laughs) the house and the process that each of them did. And I think when people come together in a committed partnership, that is for some people, one of the first times that they are recognizing, wait, whoa, not everyone does this the way way. I do it. And that's where we need to, then there needs to be conversation and processing around that of, okay, self-awareness of this is what I'm bringing to the dance. This is what you're bringing to the dance. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's different. And then how do we decide what we then want to create together going forward? And I think bringing conscious intention to that rather than just a default to this is the way I always want to do it. And then it just becomes a point of tension. And I think the bigger the gap between and the more difference between a couple's financial upbringing, the more work there is to do to tie that together and make that work well. And if there are discrepancies and differences between the families, it's not just the partners having to reconcile their behavior. You're then maybe having to manage and field other family members' thoughts, feelings, perceptions, uninvited commentary into what that means. Then you're getting into conversations about prenups or postnups. And those conversations aren't just about money. That's about, okay, we're talking about, again, planning for what happens if this doesn't work out. I mean, us at the family office, because yeah, us, the family office, we deal with this more than the regular probably advisor or or the CPA. We deal with those interesting family dynamics. So you see that play out and, but it plays out in every family, not just the wealthy. It plays out. Yes. Yeah. All size net worse. All right. Let's, I know you talked about how's work in the future self. 
I'm having actually House coming on the podcast <laughs> in June, I think. I'm going to help them. Oh, them. fantastic. And I'm a big UCLA Bruin. My whole family joined, went to UCLA. So we talked about how, but I think, oh, what was the last quick? Let's talk about the holistic well-being. I'd like to get some maybe quotes for that for the book about really not just emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the financial aspects and how they really tie in all together. Absolutely. I think it is so important that we recognize that our emotional, physical, financial, and spiritual well-being are deeply interconnected. And this creates a real opportunity in some ways, but it creates challenges in others. The opportunity is when we can make a concerted effort to make positive changes and shifts in one area that can have a knock-on positive effect on the other areas and create this virtuous spiral upwards. But because they are all interconnected, if we are neglecting even one of these, it is going to have a negative yeah. impact the, in the direction that no one wants to go. Yeah. And I think especially our emotional well-being and our financial well-being are much more inextricably linked than people often appreciate or realize. We've talked about, and I think it it's bi-directional. We've talked about money is a source of a lot of stress. It can cause clinically significant symptoms of anxiety, of panic for some people. It can, if, when I am, when I'm talking to someone about screening for safety or depressive mood, one of the risk factors I'm looking at is financial concerns because of how desperate that can make someone. People can experience trauma symptoms based on financial experiences. So there's that direction, but then the relationship goes the other way as well. If we are and like a positive bent, if we are in a strong, emotionally self-aware, stable, high EQ, we have healthy coping in place, positive relationships, we are going to be much better positioned to be making sound financial decisions. We are probably going to be more, more, we are probably going to be reaching our find, reaching our professional potential, which is going to have a real positive effect potentially on us financially. So it is really important that when we're looking at financial well-being, we have an understanding and appreciation that there are a lot of different things that are going to drive that in addition to the financial behaviors that we often are top of mind. Yeah. And this is where I may want to explore further it for the book to joy, because I believe it's so critical to not just have that financial conversation. This needs to be that holistic conversation yeah. and understanding the whole life of or the family's life so i'll probably explore that more i may see you shoot you some emails to get some more quotes for you because i think this i think you are helping mold the advisors of the future yeah i'm gonna trademark it i just bought the website 
today. Two websites, advisroar.com and advisrory.com. Nice. <laughs> because it's a return on relationship. I'm really yeah. leading with that. It's really that return on that relationship yeah. both ways from advisor as well as the client. Are we having a fulfilling relationship in the relationship with your, with money, relationship with your family, relationship with yeah. your, your emotional self? So I think I want to explore that probably best because I think that I really didn't believe that's the advisor of the future. Absolutely. I'm so glad we've been able Thank to you. chat. I'm glad. <laughs> I hope this is helpful for you. This is you. helpful. I wish you the very best. With I really the project. appreciate Joy. Thank you so All much. All right. Take care. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.